Welcome to Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. Pennsylvania's 2023 primary election is right around the corner on May 16th. And with the delivery of mail and absentee ballots, voting is already underway. So the time is right to hear from Marion Schneider, ACLU PA's Senior Policy Counsel for Voting Rights, and Khalif Ali, formerly of Common Cause PA, and now with the New Pennsylvania Project. Marion and Khalif talk about the state of democracy, what challenges we're facing in protecting the vote, and what opportunities may arise with changes in power at the state capitol. This conversation was recorded on March 30th. Well, Mary and Khalif, thank you both for taking the time to talk. Voting rights has become a year-round, 12-month-a-year, almost 24-hour-a-day struggle and battle. I mean, organizations like Common Cause and ACLU have always been been in for the struggle, but it's it's changed. The dynamic has changed because so many people are focused on it all the time. So I'm looking forward to this conversation, and thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so, for having us. Yeah, I, I want to start with a question for both of you. Um, in surveys during the 2022 election, voters cited democracy as a priority issue, and many election deniers did lose their campaigns, including here in PA. But I don't think anyone, certainly anyone in our circles, believes that our system has survived or isn't still under threat. How would you describe the state of democracy right now, both in PA and around the country? And Khalif, why don't you go first? Um, so uh, let's let's start on the ground level. I'll, I'll talk to you about conversations I have in my neighborhood. Those are the easiest ones. I'm a part of a civic association here in Pittsburgh in the, in the neighborhood of Hazelwood. Um, and there is a bit of disenchantment. Um, what... Um, neighbors have relayed to me is that there's a, there seems to be a disconnect between um, the interests of the voters um, and the agenda of elected officials. There, there doesn't seem to be a mesh there. So when there isn't a mesh there or people start to see that a lot of decisions that elected officials make are inconsistent with the values of democracy, then people start to withdraw from that system. There's low confidence in uh, democracy. But, you know, what I try to reassure them is that it's it's not the system, it's the way the decisions are being made within the system that may be causing um, some concern or a, a lack of integrity or, or or whatever, however we choose to frame it. But um, on the ground level here, uh, I won't even talk about nationally, on the ground level, there, there is a lack of confidence and it's very tough to encourage people to continue to participate in a system that they're not seeing much from that that represents their interests. I'm glad you said that because I say this all the time about voter turnout numbers. It's not necessarily apathy. It is actually a high, for some folks, it's a high level of awareness of these institutions and these systems and how they work. Marion, do you want to chime in? Well, I, I mean, I think that's, you make a really important point, Khalid, that, um, people are feel that they're not being heard and I think one of the, and I so I think that uh what when we look back at the 2022 election some of the reasons for that are this just pervasive disinformation about our institutions and so I mean I do think we need to talk about talk about that and so on the good news side of the 
run, even though there are people who feel disenchanted. At the end of the day, in Pennsylvania, voters rejected the election deniers. They rejected the um, people who would uh, destroy uh, the, <laughs> what democracy we do have here in the United States. So I think that's, um, that's a good thing. But by the same token, there are still people in positions of power that are promoting these false narratives. Like, for example, the senator who was the chair of an obscure committee in the Senate in Pennsylvania last year who tried to subpoena information to revisit the 2020 election is now the senator in charge of the state government committee, which directly oversees elections. And that's not a terrifically good thing. Um, that's going to be a huge stumbling block to passing electoral reforms that might try to engage the people who feel disenchanted. Um, the, also, the other thing that's a little concerning is the judiciary. And I know we're going to talk about that later, but um, I just want to point out, we elect judges in Pennsylvania. We have a very important Supreme Court race this year. Justice Bear died suddenly in the fall and leaving us a six-member court. And believe it or not, party affiliation is not a predictor of how judges will rule. It has never been in the entire history of the United States. Party affiliation has never been a good predictor of how people rule until very recently. And, but it's still true here in Pennsylvania. So that the six-member Supreme Court has deadlocked three to three on important issues, including voting issues. Um, so that's really important. Um, I think in that nationally, we still see in other states, especially battleground states, efforts to destabilize our democracy. We see threats against election officials, I mean, death threats and attacks on people who are just trying to do their jobs and run, run the mechanics of the, and logistics of democracy and logistics of voting. So we, that, that has not disappeared. Um, but I, I think that nationally, by and large, the people that would destabilize our institutions did not win elections. Um, but that doesn't mean we still don't have to be vigilant in the future. Please, I want to ask you a bit about the work of Common Cause PA. How does Common Cause define a voter-centered agenda? What are your priority, priority issues right now in voting rights? Well, number one uh, is defending the reforms of Act 77 to ensure they're in place and use as a um, as a foundation and not as a ceiling for voting and elections reform here in Pennsylvania. So you know we we're we're a little behind in Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of the reforms that we have and that we're celebrating are reforms that have been in place in many states for decades. You know, uh, voting by mail, no excuse uh, voting is that's those are really commonplace. So we're, we're at a low level of reform in terms of voting and election that we hope to build upon what we've seen in Act 77. Uh, the second part of that is we have an election protection program that really is, is all about ensuring that people feel comfortable, feel safe, and are knowledgeable about being, about what it takes to vote in Pennsylvania, regardless of whatever what county you live in. Um, and we want to be able to continue to uh, create access and opportunity for people to vote in this state. You know, we want to remove barriers perceived or otherwise merriments and disinformation. Um, we want to be able to remove those barriers in a way that a lot of people feel comfortable going to their 
whole station and voting on a regular basis. You know, so I would say the two main things are building on Act 77, continuing to expand uh, access and opportunity for voters throughout the state of Pennsylvania, um, while also taking the observation from our election protection program and using those as an agenda for 2023 and beyond. Uh, that public policy agenda, I should say. And we should talk just briefly a little bit of the details about Act 77. We're talking about vote by mail. We're talking about um, some of the changes in deadlines, particularly the voter registration deadline, which went from four weeks to two weeks um, before Election Day. Um, I thought it was interesting there that you said building on Act 77, which is in addition to protecting what's already there right. uh, in the bill, right? Right. We, you know, we 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 have a antiquated uh, election code. Um, you know, it hasn't been voted on prior to Act 77 since I think the 1930s. Um, and so, um, and, and it shows, I, I think, in the way that the infrastructure for voting and elections, voting and elections occurs in the counties. Um, I think there's two things that need to, to take place with that. You know, we, as we're build, as we're continuing to expand access and opportunity, we're supporting um, the uh, the bolstering of the infrastructure in the counties uh, in terms of their the, the county election administration. Uh, so we're we're taking our time. We're working with the counties to ensure we're not putting too much on their plate that that their the current infrastructure can handle. Um, and you know we're, we're we're going about it in a very methodical way. I think, um, and and it's going to end up. And I think it'll be highly successful if we continue to do it this way. Uh, Marion, you've worked in the executive branch as a deputy secretary in the Department of State. We have a new governor in Josh Shapiro. He's nominated Al Schmidt, a Republican from Philadelphia, as secretary of state. What's your advice for the new administration? What do you want to see them prioritize on elections administration? And do you have any concerns? Uh, well, that's uh, it's a good question. Is that a loaded question? That last one is a loaded question, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, I just I so the the first thing um is they really need to engage with stakeholders. And um there was a an infrastructure set up, certainly while I was at the department and and then later <clears throat> um through with the subsequent um secretaries. And I want to make sure that they have to continue to engage with groups like ACLU and Common Cause and all of our allies that are in direct contact with voters, because we know they'll have they'll have enormous contact with the counties, they'll have contact with the county commissioners association, but they need to get the perspective of people who are dealing with voters on a day to day basis, like in in our role. So it's, that's a lot different. So that's the first piece of advice. Um, the second, I, uh, there's there's a couple other things that I would say. One is uh, they do need to uh, be a resource for county election administration and for the public, and they should be reviewing their guidance, issuing guidance on important topics, but doing it in a clear way and not at the last minute. Um, it's very, um, it's intentional in our statutes, in our law, that the Department of State it doesn't have direct oversight of the you know operations of elections, but they do have authority over two really big important things. One is the voter registration database, 
and they are overhauling that. That was originally developed in 2006, and it hasn't had a major overhaul since then. And I will say it's been kept up to date. So the age age alone is not any kind of predictor of failure, but it does need more improved functionality. Um, and they were in the process of doing that, and it's really unclear of where they stand on that. So that's a priority and also being transparent about it. And then the second thing is um, voting systems. That's their other area where they have specific authority. So, and I, I would also like them to take a, a more proactive role in voter education and voter outreach. Uh, and then the legislature should give them money to do that and give the counties money to do that. So, um, but as do I have any concerns? I mean, there's always a concern with the change in administrations. Um, you know, I, Commissioner Schmidt, former you know, Secretary, Acting Secretary Schmidt, has a history. I mean, he's been in he's been in the election space since 2012. So he's you know he's got good pros and cons and how he has uh, dealt with elections and voters. And uh, he did stand up to the Trump bullies. bullies. Great. Okay, so let's, but let's see a broad vision from the governor. Let's see a broad vision from the Department of State to make voting easier and more accessible for all Pennsylvanians. That's what I'd like to see from them. So, Khalif, uh, Marion mentioned funding from the legislature, which is a nice segue to what I want to ask you about. The new governor isn't the only change in Harrisburg. Uh, the Republicans held their majority in the state Senate. The Democrats took back the majority in the state House for the first time in more than a decade a one-seat majority at that. The ACLU and Common Cause are both nonpartisan. We are mission-driven organizations. Um, and Marion just mentioned a few minutes ago that just because someone is in one party or another at the state Supreme Court doesn't mean they're going to rule a particular way. We also don't ignore facts or context. Um, so how do you think the change in the House alters the calculation for what's possible on voting rights in the legislature? Sure. So um, I've been here for Common Cause for two and a half years. Um, in that two and a half years, we have never had a an offensive agenda for voting elections. Everything has been defensive. Defending Act 77, um, working with ACLU on lawsuits to prevent, it, 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 you know, a number of issues <laughs> that we can get into in detail. Um, so it's, it's refreshing to be able to begin developing and acting on an offensive agenda that we can finally stop worrying so much about defending Act 77. We gotta still worry about it a little bit, but to begin to build upon Act 77 and and, and expand on that access and opportunity that it, be, that it starts to offer us. So I'm elated about this this concept or this idea, this this possibility of being offensive for once, you know, like um, you know, it's it's it's, it's exhausting backpedaling um constantly um uh, to defend the voting rights here in Pennsylvania. So, I'm I'm elated and I'm looking forward to working with um, the new House majority to to advance uh, some uh, access and opportunity uh, voting uh, uh, legislation. Did you did you come in right after X seventy seven, Khalif? Yes, right after X seventy seven. Yeah, because that was the biggest pro uh, pro elections reform piece of legislation in a very long time. Um, be curious to see what the Senate does with any electoral reforms, even even though the House 
uh, might pass them. Well, I think it's important to be mindful of how that happened, too. I mean, going back through the facts of that year, the governor, Governor Wolf, decertified election machines and was trying to get funding for upgrades to election machines for the counties. The Republicans wanted to eliminate straight party ticket voting. The governor vetoed a bill with that. That was in June, if I'm not mistaken, of 2019. And then in the fall, somewhat unexpectedly, there were conversations happening, obviously, in private, and this package came together. I mean, to me, as someone who's been in activism and advocacy for a long time, it really speaks to the importance of advocates doing the groundwork to get elected officials ready. So when there's a moment, and there was a moment in 2019 mm-hmm. to make that happen. Well, let me just say this, because I was in not at the ACLU at the time, but spent 18 months working on that funding piece of the bill. And I think the bill that in June that was vetoed was just the funding and just the elimination of straight ticket voting. And then Correct. I think over the course of the summer, there was the, the administration said, look, you want to eliminate straight ticket voting, then we're going to have to have, we're going to have to have this and we're going to have to have this and we're going to have to have this. And they got it. And, um, but everybody was on board with the funding. Like there was not any um, issue with the funding, but I do believe that a significant proportion of Democrats voted against Act 77 because of the elimination of straight ticket voting, not because they didn't support the other aspects of the bill, but that was a, that you're right, Andy, that it was a moment. And unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know if I think I don't know if that moment exists anymore to do something in that bipartisan way. Well, you never know how the sausage gets made. I've been trying to go ahead. Go ahead, Khalif. Uh, well, I will say that that, you know, we do have a we do have a governor who I, I, I believe is 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 open to open to. Uh, let me choose my words carefully. So I, I believe he's a governor who's willing to to make some deals or make some leverage certain things in order to advance uh, an, an agenda that makes sense for Pennsylvanians. I, you know, I, I, so it's possible. You know, um, the Senate is tough. The Senate is tough. I know. I know. There's, uh, Mary mentioned the Senate, um, but we're yeah we're uh, we're we're going to still push. Um, a legislative agenda that that's going to you know build on Act Seventy Seven. We'll we'll see where it gets us. See if we can if we can squeeze anything through. You know. Well, and when those compromises are made, that deal making happens, then we as advocates have to make decisions and choices about what we'll accept and what we won't accept. For the the ACLU supported that legislation that became Act Seventy Seven because we just felt like straight ticket voting wasn't going to diminish or restrict people's abilities to vote. Um, and frankly, I think at the time, Pennsylvania was only one of eight states that even it even still had it. Right. There were folks on the left end of the political spectrum that felt like it would hurt some partisan interests. But we just felt like, you know, if our if our mission is to expand voting rights, then it wasn't that that deal wasn't one that we would oppose now as you're you know talking about as you're implying khalif you don't know you know what's going to be in the next deal um and if it's mm-hmm. something that we as advocates say we we can't stand for this because it's going to restrict voting rights then we'll have to make that call right absolutely 
So both of you have talked, have mentioned about things happening at the local level. Marion, I know you've been concerned for a while about what happens at the county level, which is where elections are administered. What are some of the more problematic activities that we're seeing in counties, be it whether it's county governments or nefarious activists? And are there any counties that are models that are doing things particularly well? Well, I'll I'll talk about four things that are happening that are somewhat concerning the one of the major things is the demonization of male voting um, that continues to uh, plague us um, even though as I said the um, act 77 which uh, provide you know provided for no excuse absentee voting was overwhelming overwhelmingly supported by the Republicans but the demonization of mail voting and the elimination of drop boxes and making it harder for voters to use that method of voting is really concerning. Um, the second thing is that our elect county elections offices are chronically under-resourced. And the last session, let's see, because of the um, influ- infusion of private um, philanthropic money in 2020, banned private donations for election offices. Now, Pennsylvania was the only state of about 20 who did that to provide an infusion of cash last year, but that has to keep coming from the legislature, and I don't know that that is. But um, so we all should be concerned that there's not a long-term sustainable investment in the uh, cost of conducting elections. Um, the third thing is buying into this fraud narrative and then election denial the, um, and boards refusing to certify results. I mean, we have, some, we, have, we have county commissioners who sit on the boards of elections who speak out against Act 77, who speak about fraud and about having to, uh, you know, make things harder for people to vote because of all the fraud that's out there when those narratives are just false. Um, And then uh, finally, there are several counties who see a core group of election deniers come to every meeting and raise grievances and ask them to revisit the 2020 election every single time. And so um, that that is a cause for concern. Now, you asked about whether any county is a model, and I I. There are counties that do a lot of things well. Everybody has their little idiosyncrasies. I mean, I think Allegheny County, by and large, does things well, but then we find out they're doing some stuff and we're scratching our heads like, why? Um, I think Montgomery County tries to do things well, but they could do a little better on transparency. I think Delaware County has does some things enormously well, like drop boxes in practically every 10 feet. But then there's other stuff that they're not so great on. So it, it's really a mixed bag and that the reason for that, and it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we have a decentralized system here in Pennsylvania, the counties run elections. What we need is a uniform baseline. <laughs> you know, everybody does every like do every a uniform baseline where nobody's disenfranchised. And then if some other counties want to go above and beyond that for great, but don't drop below the floor. So, um, and then who else? I mean, there's, I'm sure, and I don't want to insult any county by not shouting them out. I think my home Uh county, Chester County, does a great job too. In a lot of ways, there's some things that they don't do so well. But, (laughs) but, you know, um, if we had the menu of election administration, 
there would be some counties who like some counties do a really good job at in-person voting and they have enough clerks and they the clerks show up and there aren't any lines and then there's other counties that struggle with that so um and you know like i've already mentioned some of the other things but it's hard to is there one county that does everything well probably not well and that decentralized system uh, is the reason why we need election protection. And that's, Khalif, <laughs> I want to ask you about that. Uh, ACLU of PA, Common Cause PA, a whole host of organizations are involved in this work that we call election protection. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? This is the work that is often below the radar, but it plays a critical role in defending elections. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's a, uh... It's a great program. I think everything that that I, I echo every sentiment that that uh, Marion made, and you know we we have uh, sixty seven counties. Uh, like Marion said, all of them do some 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 good, and and, and all of them need some improvement. Hence the need for election protection. I also agree with Marion that there there has to be a baseline of uniformity, uh, taking into consideration that our top two counties are over a million and our bottom two are under 10,000 in terms of population. Um, uh, so with the, um, with regard to the election protection though, it's, it's, it's been in, been around since before I was here, it's 2016, um, coalition of diverse partners, uh, it's been upwards of 50 organizations and individuals that represent advocacy, legal and voter contact organizations. We have technical experts, we have community leaders um, that advocate for pro-voter legislation and policies. Um, it's convened by us, Common Cause, PA and ACLU, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and PA Voices involved as well. Um, and we work to ensure all voters have a positive experience at the polls, regardless of their political affiliation. Um, we recruit, we train, we deploy hundreds of poll monitors, hotline volunteers, uh, again, to make sure the voting experience is one that's safe, is comfortable, um, and I would say it, it even needs to be pleasant <laughs> when you walk there. Um, and so uh, we use that. We take all of the calls that we get in terms of people who are reporting something, you know, they don't understand. Um, they need their ballots cured. Uh, someone is electioneering, um, intimidation, anything like that. We take all those calls. We record them, we try to address them, um, and we're currently uh, drafting an election protection report um, that's going to, that's a, you know, it's a combination of everything that we've learned from uh, this most recent general election. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heavy document. <laughs> it's going to be pretty heavy. Jill Green, my colleague, is putting a lot of, uh, a lot of good information in there. Um, uh, but we learned a lot. I think, I think, um, um, I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised um, by the by the, the the low level of calls that we've received in, the, in this previous election. There were some disturbing specifics that occurred we, that we'll, we'll, we'll hold for now. Um, but if anything, um, uh, we had a, a tremendous amount of participation from volunteers throughout the state. Uh, we want to build upon that for the next election. Um, and uh, we want to use what we learned and observe to to make a better program um, in 2024. 
That's, I just want to um, say that's really interesting, Khalif, about maybe the, the call volume drop, but the dynamic is changing now in Pennsylvania with no excuse mail voting. I mean, in the, during the pandemic, we saw an enormous uh, embracing of mail voting. And so that's going to reduce the number of problems on election day if people have already voted. And even in the 20s, I think the number is 1.5 million um, mail ballots in the 2022 um, general election, which is a significant percentage. So um, what we we might have seen is fewer calls on election day, but we saw a lot of calls like the two weeks before election day with people with questions on their mail ballots. Like, where's my mail ballot? What should I do? It didn't come. Or I don't know. Yeah. I, so, but um but it's, you know, Common Cause did a tremendous job with getting the field program uh, fully staffed and, and deployed this past year. It was awesome. And, and let me mention something, too. I had, a, had an opportunity to drive across the state and drop off um, election protection material, T-shirts, signs, and, you know, lanyards. And um, and it was, it was amazing for me um, because... I got to talk to a number of volunteers from various areas of the state, North Central, Northeast, you know, South Central, Southeast, you know, I went all over the place. It took me, I think, two days. It was like a two-day trip. But in talking to people um, throughout the state, um, although there may be uh, some diminishing confidence in, in democracy, um, there is not a diminishing uh, there, there's no diminishment in terms of people's willingness to fight for democracy, um, and it showed in the number of volunteers that 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 um, that came out, um, did the training, and, and showed up at the polls. So, I was very encouraged by what I saw, um, and I'm looking forward to the next iteration. And I should note, we're talking about election protection. Anybody who's watching this on video right over Marion's shoulder is the election is a poster with the election protection hotline, 866-R-VOTE, which is administered by the Lawyers Committee. And those are the, that's the number to call or text um, when people have voting issues. Um, and that that's ACLU, Common Cause, Lawyers Committee, our partners are all monitoring um, that line for complaints. So, Marion, I want to ask you about the courts, and I, I'm looking at the way I wrote this question. I, I'm wondering if I'm a little too cynical. So, if I'm too cynical, you you can you can bat me down here. But um, ACLU of PA was involved in more than 20 lawsuits before, during, and after the 2020 election. In fact, Common Cause was our client in quite a few of those cases. Um, at the moment, we have at least three ongoing lawsuits on voting rights, and we won most of those lawsuits. Um, but can you describe the role of the courts in defending democracy? A lot of people, particularly in civil rights circles, have lost faith in the courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court. Are they right to be jaded about the current state of the courts? Well, I I do think that the appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court in the during the Trump administration are troubling. And I feel like this the U.S. Supreme Court has taken a partisan turn um, and I, I think that that probably happened in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, um, where, but, um, so I think that the, um, the U.S. Supreme Court, we, we, and given what they did with the, uh, Roe v. Wade decision, I think people are probably rightly concerned about that, but they're not the only court. 
And in fact, most election matters, unless they come under federal statutes, really are, are decided in state courts. Um, and uh, so that's why our Pennsylvania Supreme Court election this year is so important because they eventually end up there. And in fact, um, the way our courts work in Pennsylvania, a lot of election matters start at a hybrid intermediate court called the Commonwealth Court and then automatically go up to the Supreme Court. So they hear this. Our Supreme Court has a pretty big elections docket um, because the appeals are as of right, meaning they can't turn them away. There's a couple of times where they have discretion, but um, so um, I think that we have to have faith in ju the judiciary um, because they are, uh, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. Um, the, the, if the courts take their historical role as acting as a check and balance on the legislature and the executive branch, they have an enormous role to play in the institution of democracy because they are the they are the arbiters of what's constitutional of what's legal and if they fulfill that role that it's really important um, in the 2020 election cycle there was out of all of the lawsuits that were filed in Pennsylvania there was only one that allowed that would have allowed the suit to proceed and that was in the Commonwealth Court um, but that was that ruling was overturned by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. But I will also note that they filed federal lawsuits. A lot of people filed federal lawsuits. And one of the best opinions was written by a Trump appointee to the Third Circuit. And he minced no words in uh, condemning what was happening. So that's why we say, um, uh, that's why I said earlier that party affiliation cannot, does not serve as a predictor of how people are going to rule in the court. So I think we still have to, we have, we can't lose hope because then, then what? But um, that doesn't mean, it does seem that the opponents of democracy have an inexhaustible supply of money and energy to bring these lawsuits. And they, we were involved in more lawsuits that kind of went away, like the Act 77 challenge has been decided. And um, there are other lawsuits that have come and gone in the past two years. So um, I, so I, I think that there is a much, um, in the past, uh, well, let's say, where are we, 2023, in the past six years, I think there's been a greater recognition that state Supreme Courts and state constitutions have a much bigger role to play in safeguarding the right to vote than people realize. But I will say to my own horn here, we started using the state constitution back in 2006 in a case on the voting machines, and we used it in the um, voter ID case in 2012, and it was successfully used in the gerrymandering cases to get fair districts in Pennsylvania. So um, we have a history of, uh, and we have good case law on in the Pennsylvania constitution. So. Uh, don't lose faith is my message. And I'll, I'll tack one more case under that history going back. Uh, I think it was the early 2000s or maybe late 90s. The, uh, the It was a state court case that overturned the state law that prohibited people from voting when they came out of prison. That's uh, that was right. Passed under I think that was just five or six. Yeah, it was. Uh, the Yes, that is correct. It was a, affirmed by the Supreme Court. It was a Commonwealth Court decision that was affirmed. 
Um, and then also the Robinson Township case, which was environmental uh, rights, was also under the state constitution. So we have um, robust use of it, and that's that's an alternative, um, which is trying to be eroded, but I'm not sure that's going to succeed in the federal courts right now. But And Biden um, has made a lot of appointments to set a run that in. <laughs> Um, including one of our colleagues, although he's, I think he's still waiting for confirmation, uh, one of our colleagues from our national office. Um, right. So Khalif, you mentioned that uh, Common Cause has a report forthcoming about election protection. If folks want to follow the work of Common Cause, they want to support what you're doing, where can they go for more information? Uh, they can go to commoncause.org slash Pennsylvania, um, or they can just, or if you don't want to spell it out, just go to commoncause.org and just click on the state of Pennsylvania <laughs> and we'll be there. And you all are on a number of the social media platforms too. I, I know this because yes. we end up like reposting your stuff, retweeting you. <laughs> We're on Twitter uh, at, at CCPA. All right, great. Well, thank you both. Um, you know, it's funny to reflect on the way things have changed on these issues over the years. I When I used to lobby the legislature and I remember... People care in the legislature. There was a concern about voting rights for maybe two months before a state or federal election, and then maybe for a couple months after, and then the issue just faded. But obviously, we're we're talking about it, and we're going to keep talking about it. And um, I'm glad to be working with both of you and, and all of our allies. So thanks. All right. Thanks, Andy. Nice. Thanks, thanks, Andy. Andy. That's Marion Schneider of ACLU PA and Khalif Ali, formerly of Common Cause PA and now with the new Pennsylvania Project. Learn more about Common Cause PA at commoncause.org slash Pennsylvania and the new Pennsylvania Project at newpaproject.org. As you prepare to vote in this month's primary, be sure to visit aclupa.org slash vote to learn more about your voting rights. And if you have trouble voting or have a question, call or text 866-OUR-VOTE. That's the nonpartisan election protection hotline. That number again, 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-687-8683. That brings episode 80 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Natalie Montero. Our opening theme is by Moody Finn, and our closing theme is by Elliot. Both are courtesy of bensound.com. The acting executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Claire Landau. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be free. Be free.